0: On the Empire Podcast this week, Mudbound, Jason Mitchell and Garrett Hedlund drop in for a chat while we finally answer the question people have been asking for weeks. Is Henry Cavill in the Empire Podcast? Find out later on. Uh, all that and more on the movie podcast that once went all in. Didn't like it. Lost everything. Looked a bit stupid. Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Stewart, and welcome to the Empire Podcast. This week I'm joined by two colleagues of such lethal cunning... Our quiet poddle,
1: John Nugent. Hello, how are you? Hello, I'm good. Hello. <laughs> you <laughs> Hello. seem
0: you seem surprised by the question.
1: <laughs> uh, it's a trick, isn't it? What's what's what do you want? There's what? no there's no trick here. There's no. We're
0: all friends here, John. It's all good. And uh, also, we're joined by our our West Wing expert and all round top hole nice guy, James Dyer.
2: Hi there. What? I'm channeling Janet from the good place. Oh, right. oh yeah, yeah. my god, please don't do that. The dress is particularly disturbing. I want my own Janet. This I'm is this is my only very goal conflicted in life. Right now. This point. Possibly <laughs> an evil Janet, if I'm honest with you. Bad but, Janet? Uh, yeah. Bad Janet. Yeah. What's up, ding dongs? <laughs> <laughs> I
0: love that show. Etc. If you're playing the Empire Podcast Bingo game, uh, did you see this last week? Someone had a bingo. Oh yeah, I did see that uh, bingo card for yeah. uh, the Empire Podcast. Is the uh, Good Place on it? I don't know if the Good Place was on that one, but it should be. Yeah, because uh, it's our new obsession. So you can finally tick off the Good Place. Uh, we haven't mentioned Supernatural or Hamilton. Well, that's just Helen's not too. here. So. Helen's not here. Helen is elsewhere this week, mm. so it's just us. All sausage, Wee, all the time. Lads. Lads. Wee, bants. Yeah, Stagdew, Marbella. Ooh, love it. Great stuff. Listen, do you ever get caught in a uh, sort of infinite loop of terrible small talk with interviewees? Every when, single
2: time I've mm-hmm. ever done an interview. Mm-hmm. Yes.
0: John, John expressing surprise that I was going to ask him how he was just reminded me that sometimes whenever I'm interviewing someone, especially on the phone, you can't see them. Or at least they think you can't see them. I get caught in a kind of... Hello, how are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm fine. <laughs> how are you? Uh, you literally
2: just ask me yeah. that.
0: You bell end and then on it goes. Eternal purgatory. Uh, yeah. That's
2: one of the worst interview things. The other worst thing is the uh, eternal delay phone interview thing. <gasps> So for those who don't know, what often happens is uh, uh, you will end up being called by a publicist who will then call another publicist, who will then call a, an agent, who will then call the person you're speaking to. So you're rooted through about four different people and they're on the other side of the world, introducing roughly a five-second delay between <laughs> sort of speaking and being heard. So you get the bit where you go, oh yeah, and then they are talking you stop, and then they stop, and then you start again, and then they start again. And yeah. then, I mean, it's just, yeah, it's a Benny Hill film, really,
0: is over the phone. Is it a Benny Hill film? I mean, there's
2: less trousers around the ankles and running mm-hmm. around after people, but it's, I mean, it's farcical, certainly.
1: I always get, I struggle to end interviews if I'm on the phone, because oh. I never know what to say. Like, Fine, So I, right. say, I say, like, you know, well, you. best of luck with the film. And yeah. the other day, I, I was on the phone to the Maze Runner director, Wes Ball, and I just said, see you oh. later. <laughs> <laughs> Love you. <laughs> it's like, I'm never going to see him later. Do I, um, I don't know,
0: I've probably told this in the podcast already, but... I interviewed once uh, Tim Story when he was directing Fantastic Four, and I was, I was doing a uh, phone-in with him for the feature, and he was, he was driving around L.A. at the time, and we got on to talking about how you know the film wasn't that well, that highly anticipated, shall we say. Mm. And, uh, he was talking about kind of the backlash around the film that had begun even before the film came out. And he was talking about, he said, oh, there's a lot of pressure on me, and this is like the end of the interview. He goes. There's a lot of pressure on me, you know. It's just like, you know, I'm just I'm worried that I'm gonna fuck it up. And I replied, "Well, I'm sure you won't fuck it up." Anyway, it's been a pleasure talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how I ended the interview. Nice. <laughs> just and I just think this poor guy going Cause did I sound sincere? You know, did I plant doubt in his mind? Am I responsible for
2: Fantastic Four not being that great? Well, I interviewed a. Uh, Stuart Laird, Baird? I think it was Laird. Uh, the director of uh, Star Trek Nemesis. Stuart Baird. Baird, that's it. Stuart Laird, Baird. Laird. Baird. Baird. <laughs> I'm having Stuart, a real difficult with Stuart, Stuart Baird. Stuart Baird. Director, also uh, of Executive <laughs> Division and editor of Superman the movie and Lethal Weapon. You are just like a walking IMDb, aren't you? I am indeed. Yeah, I interviewed him for Star Trek Nemesis and I remember we talked about the film and I was like, yeah. And at the end of it, he stopped me. He grabbed my arm and he could, do you you think it will do well? And I was was like, oh oh God, I cannot tell a lie. And I just turned to him, I went, and I put my hand on the shoulder and went, it'll clear up on DVD. (laughs) And then I walked out of the room. And I was like,
0: God, that's like the most passive aggressive answer. You were not Janet. No. You were
2: GD. That's yeah. who you are. I that, lie. At that point you were like, No, oh, stomach ache. No. Oh no. I have to be truthful. It's not gonna do well at the box office. <laughs> <laughs> they never do. Also, oh God. Yeah. Oh my word. Yeah, it was it was it was bad. And now I've blocked out his name. So, you know, that's why. And he's blocked out yours. He has. Yeah. Was that the same
0: junket where you saw you walked in and someone having a poo?
2: No, no. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> that well funny. it was for the same film. That was Tom Hardy for the same film. Can yeah. we name the person you walked in and having a poo? I just did. It's Tom Hardy. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't know this. I hope he doesn't listen to the podcast because he never knew it was me that walked in. That was the key part of this story. I'm sure I've told this on the Hang on, before. how, like, sure how have, much
1: yeah. did you see before... You just saw Tom Hardy well, sat
0: no, down on no, a toilet so, and thought, so? Okay. So
2: I was there to interview him because he obviously played Praetor Shinzon. Of in, course. In Star Trek Nemesis.
0: We all remember. And, you can remember that, but you can't remember the name of the director.
2: Yeah, You're know, a disgrace <laughs> of a human being. I know it in, in both Romulan and Riemann as well. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and I, I, I needed a wee, so I got up, he had, wasn't in the room yet, so I got up and I wandered around, and it was a, it was a very odd, it wasn't in a hotel, it was in a strange... Uh, it was in a skip. It was in a skip. <laughs> it was just no, in a skip. It was in a strange kind of studio space, and I just wandered, I found the toilet, and the door was not locked, and I opened it, and there was Tom, sitting on the throne. And uh, I remember, <laughs> he kicked his legs, I went, whoa, 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 and just like, <laughs> waving his hands. But... He, at no point did he look up and make eye contact with me, so I just backed out the door, slammed the door, ran back into the room, uh, put my feet up, and pretended I'd never left. And 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 you know, a couple of minutes later, he kind of walks in, and he was like, "Man, dude, some guy just walked in on me on the toilet," and I was like, "No," uh, and I totally got away with it. So as long as he doesn't listen to this podcast, he you will are never literally known. his Star Trek nemesis. That's that's <laughs> literally what happened. Yeah, I my hope God. he washed his hands. There there's, there's another interesting story around that particular interview that I unfortunately cannot say on the podcast. So that's uh, not very helpful. I've turned the mics down, tell me. Well.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Listen, all this faffing around, and we haven't got to our question yet, and we've got a lot to talk about, and mm. loads of guests and stuff. So the question is, is from Johan Carlson. Uh, at Rookala on Twitter. He, and he asks, where do you want the Star Wars cinematic universe to go? More fan favourites, Old Republic, unexplored eras and areas. And this is an, obviously in response to the big news that broke immediately after the podcast <laughs> went up
2: last week. They actually waited until we were live to do it.
0: Yeah, I think they yeah. actually they waited until we couldn't come back in to re-record. <laughs> which is probably even more annoying when you put it up, knowing that there's bigger news out there. And uh, that Ryan Johnson is returning to Star Wars to write... Uh, and direct at least one, uh, and certainly oversee a trilogy, a new Star Wars trilogy. But this is not going to be episodes 10, 11, and 12. This is not going to continue the Skywalker saga. This is going to be an all-new
2: series of films, an all-new trilogy within the Star Wars cinematic universe. So we were discussing whether or not it could still be 10, 11, and 12, even if it's not the Skywalker saga. I mean, but but they've dropped canonic- the numbering already, pretty sure, much, haven't they? But canonically... So- but doesn't it
0: still say episode, it'll still it say episode in the crawl, it'll still yeah. say episode 8. But
2: it's just not part of the official film title, so yeah, I think absolutely, also from a marketing point of view, it makes sense not to have, because yeah. it, it makes it a difficult entry point, but yeah, so it'll be, you know, I don't think it'll be an episode anything, it'll be Star Wars colon, insert title here, mm. uh, Star Wars, The Crimes of Grindelwald, is I think what the first one's, <laughs> one's going to be called, which is, which is unexpected, but yes. interesting. Uh, I wonder if that name's been taken already. Mm.
1: Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? I'm looking for or Star even Wars guess. Tokyo <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> I would genuinely love it. Drift. Yes. Moss Drift. It yeah. was um, Star Wars, my dinner with Andre. It was just, <laughs> just I wasn't aware a film existed called Tokyo Drift. <laughs> my dinner with Andre's a film? What? Um so this is this is huge news actually, and mm, we'll talk about that is. in a second because it clearly indicates Happiness on the part of Disney and Lucasfilm mm. with the job that uh, Ryan Johnson has done on the Last Jedi, which Bodes none of well. us have seen yet, but hopefully we will be seeing soon. And uh, they want to bring it back. What do you think about this? I've seen a lot of talk this week. This this plays into the question that by Johan Carlson: Where do you want this to take place? When do you want it to take place? I say what I don't want it to be. I do not want it to be set before. In Star Wars well, I don't been, want it to be prequels. There
1: has been lots of chatter that it might be an old Republic trilogy.
2: I mean, you say lots of chatter, it's, true. it's absolute conjecture though, isn't it? It's not like sure. there have been games set in that period, therefore we should have films in but that But th- I
1: think the the thinking there is that it's never been canonically uh, shown on screen. Mm. So this is an, a huge untapped era of Star Wars mythology that has never really been explored And all of the stuff in the games and the books—that's that's that's non-canon now, isn't it?
2: Yeah, it's true. It was all exercise. It's it's interesting. I've played through the Knights of the Old Republic games and the the MMO game they brought out as well. It's 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 an interesting period. You do you do have to wonder. You know, they either have to do a time jump afterwards. You're going to want at some point to have the Force and Jedi and Sith and stuff in it. So you're going to need some distance from the Skywalker saga either temporarily afterwards or a lot before. So I would have thought those are really their two options. Unless they, you know, toddle off to a completely other part of the galaxy, even further and further away, uh, and do something very different there. But it needs to be recognisably Star Wars, doesn't it? And you need Mm. those touchstones. You Mm. know, I don't don't know quite what to do. I've no problem with an old, you know, an old Republic film. I think that might be quite interesting. What I definitely don't want them to do is any more pissing in the swimming pool quite friendly. You know, don't mess around with established characters. Like Han Solo may well be a good film, but I certainly haven't written it off, but it's a terrible idea. Mm. Uh, Wan. sounds to me that be- you have written it off. <laughs> no, but Obi-Wan may be a good film, but it's a terrible idea because you are sullying something that already exists. You know, and if the prequels taught us anything, it's that it is absolutely possible to... Fuck something up in retrospect, and I'd kind of wish they wouldn't do that. I don't need to see how I've said this so many times on the podcast. I'm boring everyone to death. Everyone knows how I feel about Han Solo. I won't say it again, but suffice it to say, I think they should do new things. I mean, if they take a like a small mm-hmm. character, like if they did, for example, Max Rebo, and it's basically Ray but with Max Rebo. <laughs> You know, I I can absolutely get on board with that.
0: Well, you mean Ray as in the Jamie Foxx film? Yeah, absolutely. But it's Max (laughs) Rebo, you know, it's him
2: coming up through... Not Ray as in... Yeah, as in, it's Ray. And it's Max Rebo coming up, you know, gigging the bars in Coruscant before putting together, you know, his band. Uh, Yeah, that could work. (laughs) Going up against the modal nodes and, you know, stars in your eyes. That should be uh, interesting. (laughs) Yeah. I'm, I'm on board with this.
0: I'm on board with that as well. I feel that it should explore new areas. I don't really know where I wanted to go. I just know when I wanted to go. I don't want it to to be a prequel. I I want it to have stakes. Mm. Uh, And yeah, prequels can have stakes, obviously, but you go into a prequel knowing that, by and large, most of the people involved are going to not make it into Mm. uh, a new Star Wars film. And I want to have... I just want to have a feeling that anything can happen. And I don't mind if it's spin-offs, as long as it's not a prequel spin-off that explores history and, as you say, James, with, with Han Solo... Fills in areas of mystique that you'd like to leave unfilled in. Mm. Um, so you know why not do a Poe Dameron movie? Or because he doesn't? Poe Dameron strikes me from what I've seen and from all the marketing that you know he's obviously going to be a part of the Last
1: Jedi in Episode Nine or whatever. But he's never He's never going to shoulder the burden of the story. No, I mean you understand why they would want to stick with established characters. I mean, you, with Rogue One, they were able to stick Darth Vader in a trailer. I yeah. mean, that's that's a pretty big selling point. But it would be nice. I mean, you know, The Last Jedi, it suggests that we, there will be no more Jedi. I mean, perhaps this could do, his trilogy could do like a next generation thing where they just jump forward like a century in time and then just start afresh, like wipe the slate clean. That could be really interesting. It could. Like, you know, you could just absolutely run wild with your imagination mm. if, you've, if you've just got a clean slate.
2: They need to distance themselves either temporally or, you know, physically from the Skywalker saga. I think it needs to be different, which means you need to do something that isn't, you know, that doesn't have stormtroopers, that doesn't have any of that stuff. It needs to do something new. I mean, I'm excited by it because Star Wars is just, it, it's everything. Do you know what I mean? Star Wars is amazing. But equally, there's a part of me that has concerns because these decisions are financially led and it is very much that Disney have bought this and therefore we are going to get a Star Wars film every year for the foreseeable future. And that is great, but equally, it dilutes what we have slightly. So I don't know, Like I'm, I'm, I'm pleased, but with reservations. We'll see what they do. I think I'll be very, very interested, very interested, when uh, episode not 10 is, is finally named. Episode not 10? Episode not 10, yes. Is that what you call it? Episode not 10, The Crimes of Grindelwald. Yes, that's exactly what it is.
0: All right. Okay. So if you want to have your question read out on the Empire podcast, you can do so by a number of methods. We are on Twitter, uh, as Johan Carlson found to his delight and pleasure. Uh, We're at Empire Magazine on there, and you can use the hashtag Empire Podcast to help your questions stand out. Uh, We're also on Facebook as Empire Magazine, and you can email us, podcast at empireonline.com. Okay, time now for our first guests this week. The new film Mudbound is out on Netflix today and it's also a limited release around the country. It is a film about racial tension and strife in rural Mississippi just after the end of World War II, directed by Dee Reese uh, and stars a fantastic cast, Jason Clark, Carrie Mulligan, and our two guests today, Garrett Headland and Jason Mitchell, who popped into the pod booth, when, well, about a month ago, John? Mm -hmm. Something like that. Uh, Sit down with John and talk about all sorts of things. Give us three things you talked about, John. Quick bullet points.
1: Oh, Racism. Yep. Um, More racism. Mary J. Blige. Okay, good. Uh, My birthday. Your birthday. Jason Mitchell and I were born on the exact same day, January the 5th, 1987. You're kidding me. I'm not. No way. Yes way. Holy cow. Yeah. Well, this
0: is a must listen. Birthday buddies. This is huge. Yeah. I'm also birthday buddies exactly with John Burnthall. No way. Yeah. You are the other Punisher. <laughs> <laughs> I put the pun in Punisher, my friend. You do. Uh, that's out on Netflix as well today. Any plans no to watch way? it?
2: Yes, I'm yeah. going to start watching it on the weekend. I am very Genuinely, excited. you're going to watch it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's 13 hours, which feels like, well, punishment. But yeah, I, I'll definitely watch it all. You're going to watch it all? I'll watch it all. I mean, the only one I've not finished is Iron Fist, because it was absolute bollocks. Um, <laughs> but I've watched all the others. So you know, why not this one too? More power to you, sir. Yeah. Uh, I don't think I'll be able to make it through the Punisher. Well, and
0: I'm, I love the Punisher. You do. What can you say? I just yeah. Anyway, anyway, that's a nice segue. <laughs> Here, enjoy the interview with uh, Jason Mitchell and Garen Headland talking about John's birthday and some other stuff
3: too. <laughs>
1: We are delighted to welcome to the Empire Podcast Garrett Headland and Jason Mitchell, stars of Mudbound. How are you doing, guys?
4: Very
3: good. Oh, Thanks amazing. for having us. Amazing. Life is delicious right now. Excellent.
1: Excellent. Um, so we are we are talking about Mudbound. It's a sort of World War Two period drama set in the Deep South. Um, you, you cover so much sort of ground with this film. It's such a big story. I mean, it's right. sort of like war and race and
3: friendship. And it, was that part of the appeal? Just how Big. The story is absolutely, absolutely. It gives so much information, and it's one of those stories. And D. Rees, our director, did such a great job with telling so many different stories in this one story. You know, and you get to sit with both families, and it's it's non biased and it ends with love. You know, you can't you can't expect any more out of a race film. It's great. Yeah,
4: I mean, and you know, ultimately, it starts with. We really had a wonderful book to work off of that uh, Hillary Jordan wrote. Um, Believe it or not, she started this when she was in college, and it came out in the mid-2000s, early 2000s. Um, And uh, the reaction to the book was amazing. We had a wonderful screenwriter, Virgil Williams, who wrote an incredible script and was able to capture all of those aspects in here um, and, and sort of walk all the tight ropes that this film deals with. Not only just coming back from, uh, not only uh, living in this sort of Jim Crow South era, um, and and time of this sort of sharecropping and, and dealing with these two families that sort of are brought together within um, a brutal society of um, um, uh, of the times, um, but also post-war, where where two soldiers come back. I'm um, hoping they're uh, going to return as heroes in, in, in terms of Jason's character. He comes back and he can't even walk through the front door of the grocery yeah. store. Yeah. And, and so it really paints a vast amount of pictures of the depiction of this time.
1: Yeah, that scene where you, your character, Jason, can't even walk out the front door is pretty extraordinary. Yeah. Um, were you aware of like the extent of these Jim Crow laws and just how just oppressive they were of every walk of life
3: well my grandfather he um he actually fought in the korean war and to this day if he brings up a white person even in the privacy of just he and i he will whisper right because that's the reality of you know how they were living you know he he always had different everything you know they had to use different bathrooms and all that and even while they were in the war you know they had separate blood banks and all these different sorts of things, you know, so <clears throat> that's really all he knows. And he's he's pretty impressed with the, the way that I can move around the world now. You know, his oldest brother was a slave, so I'm only, like, two generations away from that. And it's, it's, it's just amazing to see.
1: Given um, recent events in, like, Charlottesville and elsewhere, do you feel like this sort of story feels depressingly relevant? Like, is it an important story
3: to be told at this point in time? Um, to be honest, it makes, it doesn't make me feel so depressed. It makes me feel a little bit more liberated. You know what I mean? Because it's like, it's it's a form of non-violent protest, first of all. And it shows, like, this unity because even though you know, we're on camera, we look like we sort of hate each other. <laughs> like, when we cut, we laugh and cry together. You know what mm. I mean? And we, mm. we, we came together and made this, this beautiful film. But like I said earlier it ends with love so it's not your average bigoted sort of you know uh victimizing black people and demonizing white people it doesn't necessarily do that it just gives these facts and gives these struggles and shows that we sort of both need each other or we could both tear each other apart mm-hmm. and i think that's cool like we we have to start the dialogue Somewhere, you know, mm. it, it has to start somewhere.
1: Um, so tell me about the shoot then, because it looks like most of it was shot on location in uh, Louisiana,
3: I believe. Yeah, I took field trips to those places actually when I was young, okay. so it was very strange. I was like, "Yo, this is eerie," but um, it was it was really nice to have this sort of um, nowhere to go type feel. Am I right, Garrett? Like we would really like hang and <laughs> chill and like get to know each other because there's nothing else to do, you know. And there's, I mean, yeah, there was no escapes in the
4: elements and it was, you know, the summer in New Orleans, it was 120 degrees, we were battling <laughs> right. uh, tornadoes and rainstorms and wow. we'd have days that were actually closed down because the rainstorms and thunderstorms and stuff like that. And, um, you know, it was all in the mud and I think the the whole environment became a character in the film in, in its own Right, and it's also called mudbound for a reason. Yeah, and um, <laughs> yeah. you know, so the elements were great. I know, you know, I grew up in the north where the elements were forty below, and everybody says how hard that was. But getting to film this film in in this kind of south, now I have a, a whole new understanding of the struggles of that. I mean, people hate blizzards, but try and be in this humidity and mugginess and 120 degrees especially in the wool clothes and trying to keep a mustache glued onto your face <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah I remember we had some great takes in his mustache and just go <laughs> <laughs> like we'll fix it in post it's great don't worry
1: about it <laughs> you're, you're opposite some pretty amazing people as well I mean yeah. you, you've got Jonathan Banks as playing your father yes. uh, from Breaking Bad and you've got Mary J. Blige wow, as, right? your, as your mother it's crazy um, does that help you raise your game having this sort of
3: cast around you absolutely yeah absolutely because i mean you you want to shoot at that caliber you know but at like you also feel honored that you were even sort of considered in in that mist because d had this sort of wish list of of a cast that she wanted and she stuck to it you know until we can get everybody that she wanted on board we didn't shoot you know, and it it was cool to see like that this group of people was, was chosen to you know, make this history. Mm-hmm. So you like, I gotta turn up. I gotta I gotta yeah. go extra hard. Yeah. <laughs> what what sort of director
1: is D Reese? I I read somewhere that she she paired you guys off and made you stare at each other in silence for thirty seconds. Yeah. That, did you that do was,
4: that? Yeah, yeah, it was I mean, we definitely had <laughs> we had to but as as she'll explain, it's She finds it very interesting to watch two people have to stare at each other's eyes and maybe say some lines once in a while, but stare at each other and smile or laugh or crack up. And and she just wanted us to feel awkward. And and it was an interesting route because it becomes a lot easier to look in each other's eyes when we're having these intimate moments like we
3: have to have. Yeah, I always consider Dee as, like, the most sure black woman that I've ever met. I tell her that all the time because, like like we were talking about earlier, we we had to fight against the um, the elements. You know, like rain is a big thing. Like if lightning strikes, they we have to shut down for at least 30 minutes. You know what I mean? And in the deep south, when it's super hot, like rain is super common. You know, they actually had a scene where um, Garrett is, like I'm walking and I'm looking for something and Garrett, you know, pulls up in a truck. And, it was originally not supposed to be raining, but the rain would not stop. So we're like shooting the rain, right. and then right after we finish the scene, or when we're, we're like in the middle of the scene, mm-hmm. what happens? The rain stops. So then we have to <laughs> create fake rain, you know what I mean, to like make it match. Right. But it was it was cool to see somebody who was who wouldn't let any of that get her down. We still had days that we finished early because you know D is just knocking it out of the park. Like she's she knows exactly what she wants and. After watching the film, I'm like, hey, what she wants might be the best thing for everybody. <laughs>
4: you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> it's
3: maybe good for all of us.
1: Yeah, fair enough. Um, so the film premiered at Sundance earlier yeah. this year and it uh, got picked up by Netflix. Uh, what sort of reaction did you get at Sundance? Did you feel that sort
3: of Sundance buzz? I mean, <sighs> it was overwhelming. Yeah. It was overwhelming. It I couldn't was- even, like, Really put myself in in a mind frame to accept how everybody else felt about it. You know what I mean? Yep. Because we were all part of this this standing ovation because that was our first time seeing it too. D really held out on us, right? We were all like, "Send us a link, send us a link." But that was our first time seeing the film too. Oh, wow. Yeah, so we we you know were in this um this audience like the rest of the viewers, you know, and completely blown away because there were a bunch of scenes that we weren't there for and. That was our first time seeing everybody put their one ten up on that camp on, mm. on, on the screen, you know. So it was it was decent, but at the same time, we're like completely blown away.
1: Yeah, and there has already been you know a little bit of Oscar rumblings. Um, have you felt any of those tremors? I mean, how how do you guys feel about award season? It's, it's sort of coming up.
3: Uh, <laughs> Shots fired. I don't know. That's, that was me hiding under the table. Um, <laughs> um I. I don't really know how to feel about it, you know, because I feel like the greatest reward, we already got it. You know, we got it when we got this beautiful film. And we just hope that people receive it in the way we want them to, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, everybody came, and it was a very short shoot schedule.
4: It was shot in four or five weeks, and that's quite rare. It's the blessing of independent film. Um, We had only a week of rehearsals, and to have the schedule we had and everybody come in and everybody put blood, sweat, and tears onto the film and to be able to work under somebody that's going to make such a huge impression on Hollywood for years and years to come, like Dee Reese, who is the best captain you could ask for in this film. Um, We're just, you know, we're proud of the film and, and I think that's the most you can ask. I mean, to sit here on, you know, God forbid, it was, you know... We all got together, and it was a seven-month shoot, and it was a big doozy. And we have to come here and be like, oh, my God, it was the best time. But we actually, in this one, everyone's genuine, and it was an amazing time. And it was, um, we had an amazing time, no matter, you know, no matter the aspects of the film and what it's dealing with, with the racial divide and with the Jim Crow South and just the sort of hot and grueling Mississippi Delta post-World War II and that kind of era, we all had such a support system with each other.
3: Yeah.
4: And we all wanted to do our best to bring this wonderful novel that Hillary Jordan had written to life and... You know, after the reaction that we had at Sundance, we're all so proud of each other and we're all so emotional because we got to see that, you know, nobody phoned it in Mm. and everybody, um, you know, came in with compassion, respect, and love for each other.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Fair enough. Uh, Guys, I've got to let you go, but uh, just before I do, uh, through my. Extensive research on Wikipedia, I found out that Jason, you were born on January the 5th, 1987. Yes. That's exactly the same day as I was born. Really? We're literally exactly the same age.
3: Wow, yeah. that's incredible. Imagine that, yeah. That's dope. Birthday <laughs> yeah. twins. Birthday
1: twins, exactly. Be a good looking dude. I don't, don't really have a question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's man. a good day to be born. Yeah, hell yeah. That wasn't, There's there didn't have a question there, that was just a statement. That's, that's what's up right. though. That's, that's what's up. That's slightly. a fun fact. Yeah. Um, <laughs> on that slightly weird note, uh, Jason Mitchell, Gareth <laughs> thank you so much Hi. for your
3: time. Thanks for having us. Thank, thank you. you for having us, bro. Cheers, guys. All right. <laughs> <laughs> that's slightly weird note
0: All right, so that was Garen Headland and uh, Jason Mitchell, and now let's talk about the week's movie news. Uh, Yesterday's news that um, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them Two has a new title: Attack of the Clones, which was unexpected. (laughs) Tokyo Drift. Yes. (laughs) Can you guess what it is? (laughs) It is the Crimes of Grindelwald. Yes. Mm. uh, Which is obviously has gone down a storm with people on Twitter. Yes. Due to the presence of Johnny Depp in the cast. Yes. Lots of jokes about that on Twitter. What do we make of it? What do we make? There was a big cast lineup photograph as well uh, with uh, Jude Law as a very young, very beardy, wonderfully coated uh,
2: Albus Dumbledore. Mm. He had a good coat. Very good coat. Good beard. Oh, top beard. Top bearded. Having Dumbledore in it, I think, is an important step. I think one of the problems I had with Fantastic Beasts, other than it being entirely beige, is uh, there was no one to latch onto. There was no one to identify. I, I didn't gel with Newt Scamander. And there was no one I particularly liked in the film. So I think having Dumbledore in it might give me an avatar, as it were. A person. A person to like. A person to yeah. believe in. Someone to follow. yeah, A leader. I agree. So uh, Warner Brothers sta- released a
0: statement going, in the new film Grindelwald, played of course by Johnny Depp, replacing Colin Farrell. Uh, what were they thinking? It should have been the other way around. It should have been the other way around. Or, or maybe Colin Farrell should have just have remained Colin Farrell and mm. been revealed to be Grindelwald. Who knows? Anyway, Grindelwald has escaped custody. Oh no. And will be seen gathering followers to his nefarious cause. Uh, this next film will also see Newt Scamander enlisted by Albus Dumbledore to try and stop him. Because I find... If you're trying to stop a deadly wizard, recruiting someone who's barely competent is the best way to go. (laughs) This is the slight concern with this movie in that it started off as Fantastic Beasts and and Where to Find Them and is slowly going to morph into pre-Harry Potter. Mm. And Newt Scamander, who of course is meant to be the lead of the the series, just might
2: get lost amongst all the the Potter tie-ins. We can but hope. Oh, it's a little harsh. No, I'm just not a fan of the character. I I think there's potential in these films, definitely. I just don't think he's it. I find it interesting. I mean, I understand from a marketing point of view why it's Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes of Grindelwald, because they need to anchor it to the first film. But, I mean, are Fantastic Beasts going to feature in this? Presumably they're not the central be. part of the plot. I imagine the Niffler will make a welcome return. I beg your pardon? But, uh, yeah, because, I mean, he's still got his suitcase, hasn't he? So Yeah. He's yeah. still awash with uh, varmints. So we're also going to see uh, some new people.
0: Uh, Claudia Kim will play Maledictus. I wonder if she's good or evil. Uh, <laughs> Zoe Kravitz as Letta Lestrange. or Lestrange. Is it Lestrange or Lestrange? I always the Lestrange. the
2: strange. I, I always thought. It's okay. Bellatrix Lestrange, isn't it? Is it Lestrange?
0: Okay. I can never remember. Mm. And Callum Turner, who's going to play Newt's older brother, Theseus. And so there, the picture is online. It all looks rather, rather lovely. I would hope that they would have learned lessons from the from the first movie, because yep. I thought the first movie was a bit of a busted flash.
1: I mean, there's obviously an audience for this, isn't massive there? massive audience, yeah. You know, so there there will be lots of people excited about this. Yeah.
2: Um, and rightly so, because, you know, the Harry Potter films are literally and metaphorically magical. Mm-hmm. And if they can bring some of that magic to this, which I don't think they did with the previous one, I think we're, we're all good. I think, honestly, the best thing that can happen is if they've learned from the first one, someone could maybe give the screenplay a little bit of an edit. That would be good. I think that the biggest one, Joe Rowling's a great writer, but I don't think she's a natural screenwriter. And I think the lack of structure and pacing in the first one was, was problematic. Um, so let's hope they've learned lessons.
0: All right, let's move on then to other stuff. Mm. And um, what else has been happening in the world of the big movies? There have
2: been a number of trailers, some good, some bad. We can start with Rampage. This is based on, if anyone's ever played this, the 80s video game, whereupon Mm. (laughs) there is a giant gorilla called George, a giant wolf called Ralph, and a giant lizard called, yes, Lizzie. And the idea is you control one or all of them, and you smash skyscrapers. That is the game. Uh, In the film, Dwayne Johnson has befriended George, who is an albino gorilla, (laughs) and he becomes big. As does a wolf. George don't becomes know if big. George Dwayne becomes Johnson. big. Not Dwayne Johnson. He was already big. And there's a. We don't know if the wolf's actually called Ralph, but he's in there. And there's a lizard too. And it looks like it's a film. And that's it. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I think you said this, and I'm absolutely with you. If someone needs to stage a rock intervention because he seems to be making some questionable choices with his films. Y- you first, mate.
4: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I
2: mean, I don't want to get in between him and his films, or yeah. indeed him and anything. Uh, perhaps John as his close personal friend I'll, and drinking buddy. I'll WhatsApp
0: him, don't I said that before I saw the trailer, and I actually thought the trailer looked pretty fun. For, for, you know, for what it is, which is giant monsters destroying the city, and yeah. The Rock and Naomi Harris looking around while things collapse around him. And he gets to, you know, the Dwayne the Rock Johnson gets to say the line that saved the world, and he, you know, but <laughs> and Jeffrey Dean Morgan gets to go full Negan. Yeah, uh, yeah. Honestly, I don't know. It's it's builders from the director of San Andreas. Yeah. And I had to look up who that was. <laughs> and I just I kind of feel that I love the Rock and I love a lot of what he does, but I do wonder if he's on autopilot a little bit recently. Yeah. Baywatch was was not good. Probably one of the worst films I've seen this year. And I have concerns about this movie and concerns about Skyscraper and it just struck me that a few years ago he was making Southland tales and you know, he was pushing himself a little bit as an actor and seeing if he could do that sort of thing. And he's and he's kind of parked that mm. now and he's now Mr. Blockbuster, Mr. Franchise. And again, there's nothing wrong with that necessarily. He's always entertaining and it's very rare for a movie starring The Rock to be less than three stars. <laughs> Equally, it's also very rare for a movie star in the Rock to be more than three stars, and I kind of would like to see him push himself and work with better filmmakers and better premises, and uh, and, and and see what happens. But for what it's worth, I thought the trailer looked fun. I don't know the game particularly well. <coughs> You're not missing much. I'm sure I'm not. Um, we will just have to see what happens. But if you look at you know the last few movies that he's made, you know it's 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 coming out Skyscraper Rampage Jumanji Welcome to the Jungle which looks fun but again it's not going to reinvent the wheel Baywatch which was not good Uh, Fate of the Furious Central Intelligence Moana is the kind of the the exception to the rule here Furious 7 San Andreas I mean these are not great films Hercules going all the way back Pain and Gain Fast and Furious 6 He can't go wrong as Luke Hobbs I think that's No uh,
5: He's brilliant I still
0: love watching him he's probably the most watched which is why he's probably the biggest movie star in the world right now because yeah. he's incredibly watchable. But I wonder how much he can back himself to keep elevating Drek mm. because I think he really tried that with Baywatch. I think it was the idea that, oh, yeah, it's fine. The, the Rock is in it. He will be watchable and he will improvise and it'll be funny. And it wasn't.
2: And it was horrible. I hope he doesn't try and apply that formula to mm. more movies. He also doubled down on that on social media and was very much like, the critics don't like it, but it's great. It's like, no, mm. it's, it's not. So, um, But there's also yeah. there been other trailers... That's not just the only one. Uh, one that I really liked was In a Quiet Place, mm. the Emily Blunt film with I think John it's Krasinski. just A
1: Quiet Place.
2: Uh, and yes, in, it's not, you are quite right. I've yes. got the name of the film wrong. It is A Quiet Place. Yes. It's not In a Quiet Place, just A Quiet Place. A Quiet just Place. A quiet place. Uh, and this is kind of a science fiction thing whereby, I mean, I don't really know more than the trailer told me, which that there That's are... pure horror, isn't it? Predatory... Well, it's sci- sci- sci-fi horror, I think, isn't it? Like, I got the impression it's... Really? Alien-related? Or have I just made that up? It looks to me like a post-apocalyptic thing, whether yeah. it's
1: aliens or, or
2: zombies I, I think, or whatever. I
1: think the threat is unknown
2: from yeah. what we see from the trailer. But it's Dwight Did... from The Office. Yeah. <laughs> so I to say, the enemies have good hearing. Uh, and the idea is they can't make a noise or they shall be hunted. So they walk on sand, they're all barefoot. I love they're playing Monopoly with like these sort of, um, where they roll the dice on a rug mm. and all the pieces are just like bits of cloth and stuff. Nothing that will make noise. And they speak over dinner in sign language. I mean, it's, it's really visual. It's an incredibly great idea. And then, quite chilling, someone knocks over a lamp and something comes. Yeah, it's yeah. a really good premise. Yeah.
1: And I think it could be
0: really interesting attention. We mentioned the most interesting thing about this film is it's, uh, I believe, written and directed by John Krasinski himself. Yes, That's right. and starring so, him
2: and his wife, Emily yes, Blunt. Yes,
1: indeed. And, uh, yeah, well done, Jim, from The Office. Yeah, Helen wrote a, a very nice piece about it in the next issue of Empire which... Um, no, just dropping spoilers.
0: No, in not in
2: situation. the next issue of Empire, John. It's just the next issue of Empire. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, it and is that won't imp- be on sale until November 30th, so <laughs> don't get your hopes up too much. But I really like the trailer. It looks, looks very, very cool. And there is one more trailer that we should talk about, and it is
1: Deadpool 2. Can we call it a trailer? I think can we, we can. we call it a I trailer? I don't know what we can call is
0: it. Is it an art installation? I really want to see whether this is playing in cinemas, and <laughs> if so... <laughs> How it goes down in cinemas. Because if you haven't seen the trailer for Deadpool 2, it is the anti trailer. It is Deadpool hijacking a trailer once again, and he does this kind of weird parody. It was this show in the 1980s. Bob Do you ever Ross. see Bob Ross? Yeah. I've I never heard have, of this show. Really? Man. I've never heard of it. So I Should think we had it, the BBC Two in the mornings.
1: American audiences will be, I think it's one of those things that's embedded in their DNA because it yeah. was on repeat on PBS constantly. It's mm. just a guy. Literally just painting and just talking through how he paints in a very soft and gentle and friendly way. And mm. he was like America's dad for a generation, you know. It means nothing to British audiences really. Is there Tony I don't Heart? think it does. I, 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 I rec- I yeah, the it. American Tony Hawk. Okay. Okay.
0: I recognized it because I think they did used to have it okay. on like BBC Two in the morning. So I'm sure I've seen it before. If they haven't seen Bob Ross before, I just didn't know his name. Mm. And uh, so it's a really fun thing where Deadpool is making a painting, but of course. Deadpool, being Deadpool, he is to quote to him, quote himself, he's high as a kite, and <laughs> loves cocaine, and he's and and he just begins to have a bit of a, a meltdown, and then you get little shots of what Deadpool Two will actually be like. Yeah. So you get all the returning characters. You get uh, Weasel, TJ Miller. You get Blind Al. You get Sonic uh, Teenage, Teenage Warhead with a new Ricky haircut. You get Ricky Baker, who looks Ricky like a Baker. bad guy in this. You get morena Bakarr as uh, as Vanessa, and then you get a little hint right at the end of Josh Brolin as Cable, and Josh Brolin, of course, appears in the uh, in the thing as well. I'm really liking the marketing of this movie so far. It's it's completely off the wall and very much very pulley. Very fa- the fact that his first magazine cover appearance for this movie was on the cover of Good Housekeeping. That's right. I just imagine that the, the readership of Good Housekeeping are completely and utterly perplexed and probably hiding behind the sofa right now. What the hell is going on? And then this trailer as well. And I, 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 I tweeted, guys, I tweeted uh, going, uh, this is like if Tim and Eric directed the Deadpool movie because it's completely and utterly weird. And I said, I'd be okay with Deadpool 2 being like this all the way through. And you know who liked the tweet? Do you know who liked the tweet? Ryan Reynolds, Ryan Rodney Reynolds. Wow, we're best mates now. Yeah, besties. Yeah, I, I DM'd him to come on the podcast at any time. He should be here any second.
2: We can oh, wait. It hasn't happened. It hasn't happened. Um, this is this is the beginning of uh, the beginning of what I suspect will be a slew of alternate, should we say, marketing stunts for Deadpool. I have no clue what this film is going to do next, but I'm quite fascinated to see. The unconventional. Yes, the unconventional. Expect the unexpected, at which point it becomes
0: the expected, so how do we know to not expect it? Expect nothing. Trust. <laughs> expect nothing, trust no one. Yes. Hope for the best, prepare for the worst. That's what Jack Reacher says. Isn't it? Yeah.
2: Yeah. Uh, one in between more, b- talking
0: about boots. Yes. yes. One more bit of uh, X-Men news before we push on. So, uh, you see this overnight, that uh, James Franco is going to star as Jamie Madrox, a.k.a. The Multiple Man, mm. in a new spin-off... A new X-Men spin spin-off yes. uh, with Simon Kinberg involved in some capacity. And this feels very be to me. This is, it's not a surprise in a way because this is a man who probably has already cloned himself, which is why he can do so much. <laughs> also a man who I don't think has any interest anymore in taking part in a conventional superhero movie. Obviously he... Shot to fame as uh, Harry Osborn in the Spider-Man trilogy, but I don't think he would want to make that movie anymore. So why not do this?
1: I don't know this character. So, what, so w- what's the Jamie idea?
2: Mudd. He clones himself, multiple man. It's so there's just loads of that. him
1: everywhere. Yeah, it's yeah. it's like an army of him.
2: Replace James Franco with Michael Keaton. I call the film Multiplicity, and that's basically what <laughs> yes, it is. Right. But don't do that. But don't, don't do that. Don't
0: do that. No. All right. I'll do a do better that. version of multiplicity. <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs>
2: but that's my feeling that this could be something a little bit off the
0: wall, a little bit offbeat mm. that suits his comedic sensibilities. It could be good. It could. It could be good. It could. And uh, part of the, the 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 fact that the X Men universe is now branching off into all these little weird. Side alleys, Logan mm. and Deadpool and The New Mutants is going to be a horror film, allegedly. X-Force on the horizon. X-Force on Gambit. the horizon. Gambit, whatever
2: that's going to level I love all this be. stuff. It's, well, this was an interesting thing, wasn't it? Was it last week when there was news that turned out to be not news that Disney might be buying Fox? Yes. And so for a brief few hours, we had the prospect of the X-Men universe being absorbed into the MCU. Mm. And that, even though the thought of Disney owning the entire universe terrified me, that was quite tantalising. Yeah. Yep. You were you were not in favor, were you? Um and see the
0: thing for me Let's discuss it if something concrete to discuss.
2: Yes, I think that's fair. I just I love the X Men and the the mutant side of the the Marvel universe has always been my favourite part of it. And to see that sort of reunited with the rest of it would be I mean, frankly, let's be honest, unmanageable. Still. Well, it's not happening, so it doesn't matter. It's not happening. It's not happening for, for the time being. Move on, time. people, nothing to see here. I read I read a column recently
1: in Forbes which seemed to think that it... It may yet happen. It may yet happen. But I mean, it's nothing, nothing set in stone yet. And these things take time and billions of dollars. So, you know, we'll see. Okay. So that is it for the news. And uh, time now for our
0: second guest this week. And he is, of course, the brilliant Henry Cavill. You'll have seen him as Superman, Clark Kent, slash Superman in Man of Steel. You'll have seen him as Clark Kent, slash Superman. In Batman vs. Superman, colon, Dawn of Justice. But will you see him as Clark Kent slash Superman in Justice League, which is out today? Well, some of you will have already seen the movie, so you know the answer to that. But when Nick DeSemlin and I interviewed Henry Cavill uh, just over a week ago for this movie, he was under strict instructions not to say whether or not he was in the film. So <laughs> what followed was, I hope it was fun. I enjoyed the interview, certainly. But a fun game of back and forth with Henry Cavill a a man who is in a movie trying desperately not to confirm that he is in that movie while two journalists who also know he is in the movie (laughs) try not to ask him questions about whether or not he's in the movie interesting enjoy (laughs) Um, we are delighted to be joined on the Empire podcast by the star of Man of Steel and Batman vs Superman Dawn of Justice Henry Cavill but Henry, we're this is the Justice League junket. What, what are you, what are you doing here? What's, what's going on? I'm, what's I'm here
6: for moral support. <laughs> <laughs> Just like in the movie where, yeah. you know, the idea of Superman lives on yeah. after his death. Uh-huh. The idea of Henry Cavill lives on after his lack <laughs> of inclusion in
0: Justice League. So how do you, uh, how do you lend moral support to the other Justice League members? Basically,
6: lots of tea making and high fives. I've become the tea boy.
0: Okay, okay. What's your, what's your preferred method of tea making?
6: Um, I do tea bag and water first, mm-hmm. then milk. In the pot? Okay. No. Heathen. <laughs> <laughs> no, you have to make it differently for everyone else. People like different levels of tan.
0: <laughs> all right, fair enough. Intriguing, intriguing. So uh, you're not in the movie at all? <laughs> I'm dead. You're dead? I'm you're dead. You're totally dead? Dead. Totally dead. That's, that's interesting. That's okay. That's okay. So you were just on set for moral support?
6: Moral support, yeah, it was like a training Juggling, yeah. juggling that sort of thing. Uh, no juggling. I haven't yet learned that skill. <laughs> yeah, don't be ridiculous. Okay, All But right. uh, yeah, training, moral support, that kind of thing. Okay, what's it like to be towel boy as well as team towel boy? Yeah, what does that involve? It's when you carry the towels for the people <laughs> in the gym. Okay, it
0: sounded way more sinister when you, when you like said super it. Like a
6: supervillain-type cowboy? Yeah. He's made up entirely of towels, <laughs> which were left behind in a changing room and yeah. grew into an entity. He okay. can sponge people I can off. imagine that. He
5: needs to be hung up every, <laughs> yeah. every once in a while. Hung out to dry. Yeah. Again. I'm taking you to the laundry, cowboy. <laughs> so who's in the gym, uh, out of the Justice League, who's in the gym the most, would you say?
6: Um, you know what? I think it's probably an even match between... Uh, myself, Ezra, Ray, and Jason <laughs> Okay. Yeah, there's a lot of lot of those those guys put like a huge amount of work in. Um, being like new superheroes, you've got to come with all guns blazing, and so they did.
5: Imagine Jason getting through, through a towel lot of, of towels Boy there all the time. I'm <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Imagine Jason's getting through a lot of towels. I've just got yes, that image of he, he's a lot. He lot needs big sweat. towels. He knows those big like bath towels. <laughs>
6: Egyptian cotton from John Lewis. Absolutely. <laughs> not necessarily from any particular place. No, of course not. No, I wouldn't ask you to endorse any particular no, place. No, but, but I'm definitely just saying, all the a, towels are available. A, a, a comfortable towel <laughs> of generic origin. Uh,
0: so do you feel the need to keep up with, uh, with these new superheroes? Or given the fact that you, you're not in the film and you're there just to lend moral support, are you slacking off?
6: You no, I, I, I don't like to slack off. It's not, it's not, it's not my style. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Fair enough. Is this one of the more surreal chunk of experiences for you?
6: It's definitely um, It's one of those. I like a good challenge, let's put it that way.
0: <laughs> so I like it. Okay, alright, so let's go, let's go. Uh, so, how did you not get involved with the film?
6: How did I not get involved with the film? <laughs> well, let me count the ways. What first didn't attract you to the
0: project? <laughs> yeah,
6: what, what didn't attract you to the project? Um, you know what? What I've, what I've enjoyed about this movie the most um, after having seen it. Yeah. Uh, is there is something for everyone in this mm-hmm. and that's the great thing about having a multitude of superheroes in one movie. Superheroes were all created in my opinion because they are personifications of the human psyche and all in separate ways. Different aspects of the human psyche, different superhero. And with this we have the all these superheroes who aren't even superheroes yet. They're very much in their nascent stages. And so, everyone is going to have something they can enjoy. Everyone's going to have something they can associate with. And they get that idea of what it'd be like if I were to become a superhero because that's kind of my personality. And they get to see the journey. And by the end
5: of the movie, everyone is going to want to see how these journeys continue. Hmm. I imagine a lot of fans will relate to Cyborg because he's the guy who's on the internet the whole time so I imagine there'll be a few people who watch the movie who are on the internet Cyborg selfies (laughs) not during the film hopefully (laughs) 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 it'll be
6: terrible hopefully (laughs) unless they're watching it on the internet (laughs) which is also terrible (laughs) legally bought it on the internet and they're watching it on the internet that's yeah.
0: yeah, ordering towels that's not good yeah but, uh, but this movie, Justice League, whenever you first signed
6: on uh, as, as Superman, all those years ago now, mm-hmm. I mean,
0: four or five years ago, I guess now? Uh, what are we, 2017
6: and 2011 I was shooting it. 2011, so well. Wow. I signed on 2010, officially, at the very end of 2010. So 2011 we were shooting it. Okay. Yeah, so six years. Wow.
0: long time. Was this
6: movie on the horizon even back then with Zack saying no? I don't, Justice no, League? I, not that I was privy to. Okay. Uh, I, I was only privy to the idea of Man of Steel and obviously... The idea of potential sequels to Man of Steel. Of course, they went a different route. Instead of going Superman sequels, they went into the idea of introducing Batman in Batman v Superman, and then the idea of the team entity in Justice League. Okay. Well, obviously, Justice League was an idea due to the slight giveaway title. (laughs) It's like, I wonder where you guys are going with this.
0: (laughs) Dawn of Justice. I mean, you know. Yeah. So, you know, obviously it's going to be Justice, but no, who, I just who's Dawn? Yeah, that. I don't know who's, who's Dawn. <laughs>
6: <laughs> Still haven't met Dawn.
0: <laughs> she's in the next one. Yeah, she's in the next one. Absolutely. Um, so, you said you got cast at the end of 2010. How long was it before you, between you knowing that you'd got the job, and you being able to tell people that you got the job, and was there like a, a period of utter secrecy where you were?
6: It wasn't a long period of time. Okay. Uh, I remember. Being told, I think it was literally a matter of 24 hours. Okay. They, they told me and they said, oh, just so you know, don't tell anyone because we're going to release the information to whichever magazine it was at the time or whichever uh, company. And... Yeah, I just had to keep it 24 hours. Which wasn't difficult, because when I called my family after I got the job, no one picked up their phones. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, okay, I guess I'm keeping this secret. By default.
0: So, the, what, the, the screen calls? Why were they not picking up? Um, I think it
6: was just one of those perfect storm moments. Okay.
0: Yeah. You were texting and texting going...
6: Yeah. But see, I, I, I have since changed this, but I developed a bad habit of not contacting the family from boarding school. I was uh, a <laughs> had a rough time boarding school. I missed home a lot. I remember my mum telling me one day, she's like, "This is another sobbing phone call at home." She said, "Look, you just got to stop calling because it's, it makes it worse every time you call because mm-hmm. you just from hearing my voice and it, it makes you miss home more. So you need to try really hard to stop calling." And so I did. and I never called again. <laughs> <laughs> Except yeah, she one regrets time. that decision ever since. <laughs> Except <laughs> the one time to say, yeah. "I'm Superman," yeah, yeah,
0: you, but of course they don't pick up the phone. Yeah.
5: Yeah. I Imagine it's quite a surreal thing being cast as Superman. Has that worn off now? The the kind of the feeling I'm playing Superman. Not at all. Yeah, no. It's uh,
6: it, it's still surreal. It's still absolutely fantastic. It's an incredible. Uh, people throw the word honor out a lot, uh, but it really, really is. I'm very, very thankful. He's such an incredible character to just read or, or, or watch. Let alone have the opportunity to actually play and try and personify in in cinema. It, it's, it's a
5: wonderful opportunity and something mm. which which I'm enjoying enormously. Yeah. And do you have people coming up to you and asking very detailed questions about Superman and whether he can say fighter hippo who would win?
6: Um,
5: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> maybe a line from the film.
6: It's actually yeah, it may or may maybe, not. Maybe, maybe probably. Um, it's actually a very. Rare occurrence that people start asking me detailed questions. I think because typically meetings are quite fleeting, that people want to say hello and get a photo because I'll be on the move or something. I'll be walking my dog, um, or on the way to something like this, and so they don't get a chance to start sort of really delving into it. Normally, I get to have that kind of chat with my friends or my producing partners um, when we start delving into the idea of Superman and, and the opportunity of where it can go, uh, but. I think there will come a time where there will be space enough for fans to have time with me to start asking me detailed questions. I'm looking forward to that because I don't know everything about Superman. I haven't read every comic book. I know the essence of Superman. I know what I like about Superman. I know the comic books that I like. But I haven't read everyone. They've been going for a long time. So... I can't have, and so it's going to be fascinating to sit down with some fans and they say, okay, so what do you think of this? And I'll be like, uh, okay, and they will name an issue. i like, okay, I haven't read that. Tell me that." Oh, really? And Okay. Yeah, where does it sort of, what do you feel about it? And mm. do you think we can represent that in another movie somehow? And do you think the movie should be a solo movie, in, or should, should it be involving other superheroes? Should it only be Justice League 2? What should it be? And I'm looking forward to the opportunity because I'm not the be-all and end-all of Superman knowledge. I'm just a guy who's representing him at this time. And so the more info I can get from those who have read every single inch of knowledge, great. Give it to me. Interesting. I want to hear it.
0: So would you play, for example, if there's been talk about maybe doing some standalone movies in this DC extended universe, or maybe even outside of some, uh, would you do Red Sun came up? example Is
6: that something you would consider playing Superman in something that 's so obviously outside continuity there's something very interesting about red sun i 've said before that I really enjoyed reading that. I read that a lot when um, I read that a lot. I read it when I was prepping for Man of Steel because I wanted to get a broad spectrum mm-hmm. of what Superman is and boil it down to an essence so I could then apply that to my man of steel and Red Sun I think has its place i don 't think it 's now I think Red Sun would be an interesting story to tell. It is fascinating and it's fun to play with that idea. There's so much opportunity now to really delve into Superman and present a Superman for this era Mm -hmm. uh, because Superman has been presented for a previous generation with Christopher Reeve and and Donna. They did an amazing job but this generation haven't got their Superman and so we need to expand upon what we've started and there's an opportunity there which we can really really redevelop and really tell an amazing character story once we have that set, then we can start playing with multiverse stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably yeah. Yeah. Superman's dead though, so that's all. <laughs> yeah.
5: That's all kind of academic. Yeah, good. so it's going to have to be multiverse. Theoretical, cool, yeah. yeah. In so, theory. Are you going to be moral
0: support in all the other uh, DC <laughs> movies going forward? Just... Yes, even the Superman solo movies. <laughs> <laughs> just showing up and see what happens. Yeah. Um, and I'll has... be the actor playing the actor who plays Superman. <laughs> <That's meta. laughs> I, like, I like that. Um, As as you get further and deeper into the franchise, do you as actors, and you you and the rest of the cast as well, do you begin to talk with the filmmakers and go, this is what I would like to see the character do? How much influence, how much control do you have over where
6: Clark goes, over where Superman goes? From here on, that depends. From here on, on, that depends, because it, it all depends on... Honestly, I don't know what it depends on, but after a certain period of time, you develop more clout with the studio, because you become you become the character for them. And so it depends on the filmmaker, how much involvement and how much collaboration they want to have with you. It depends on how much input you have at what stage. Mm-hmm. And there's so many variables which go into it, which don't make it a precise art. I, I think there's an opportunity, again, to to tell some amazing stories, but that's all about collaboration. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I love talking to Jeff Johns and John Berg mm-hmm. about all of the possibilities, and we brainstorm, and we see where things go. But we've got to find out what is... How to say this without saying anything. (laughs) Time will tell. Sing it. Time will tell. (laughs) Yes, I shall say it through dance. Um, Time will tell how much of a craving there is for it. Okay. There must be a desire. Without that audience desire, then there's no point.
0: Henry, I must ask you a question. Um, uh, Same person. I'm, 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 I'm impressed. <laughs> <laughs> this is a cracking tash. This is the Mission 6 tash, correct? Yes. Okay. Uh, so, let's say, for example, that you were on set for additional shooting for Justice League. Right. How did they get around this? We've heard rumours of green screen tashes. Mm-hmm. I, I have images of you going to sleep at night with a little moustache protectorless green screen.
6: <laughs> but maybe
0: that's just me. I mean, went.
6: I always sleep with a moustache <laughs> anyway just to preserve it. It, it's, it demands it of me. I can't sleep otherwise. It keeps me up at night. Uh, it's it's because, because of the nature of having to... On Mission 6... Mm it would not be possible for me to glue a moustache on due to the stuff that they have me doing. <laughs> just keep coming off. It's, I mean, <laughs> a moustache comes off anyway when you talk, if you're wearing a fake moustache or beard, because yeah. it's all lace and it's just stuck to your skin. But the stuff I'm doing yeah. makes it impossible for a moustache to stay on. I mean, <laughs> I mean, literally impossible. My own hair, practically. <laughs> like, I've seen the footage, I was like, whoa! Like, that's incredible. Okay. It's, and so that wasn't really an option. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a, a CGI removal process. Okay. If, of course, I were to be involved in the reshoots. If
0: you were to be involved in the reshoots, and if you were to be involved in the film, which, of
6: course, you're not. So no, I'm it's not. A, it's, it's just a giant media scam to draw attention to the movie.
0: <laughs> but let's say, for example, had you been in this movie... Yes. The idea of Superman rocking a Tash, it's just brilliant. Couldn't you have done that? Couldn't you just you know, show I mean, up in the film? I mean, could have
6: done. You I mean, just, like... If I could make my nose a little bigger as well, and I got moustache, big nose, and glasses, <laughs> <laughs> full Yeah. <laughs> Try it.
0: Try it for the next one. Yeah. 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 It's, assuming worth, course, it's worth a shot.
5: Yeah. Assuming of course you're around for the next one. I mean, I don't know. I don't yeah, know. So I, I'm yeah, just, yeah. I'm just. I'm just going. I have a question that's unrelated to moustaches. Is <laughs> it true that you're into video Weird. games? You're a keen gamer. Yes, Is I am. Is that true? Okay. Yes. That's interesting. And what, what kind of uh, games do you play? Uh, I play all kinds of
6: games. I. Being a constant fan of the Total War series. Okay. Love Total War series. Um, playing Destiny two right now. Oh. Um, RPGs in general. All the Fallout games. It's tough. It's tough to narrate. It's, it's tough. I, I'm gonna, I know I'm forgetting games, and I feel like I'm being some kind of betrayer yeah. by not mentioning. Are you an Xbox of... man or a PC guy? PC guy. PC. Yeah, okay. absolutely PC guy. Okay. Uh, Xbox is, I think, a fantastic bit a kit. Yeah. Uh, as far as a, an all-round thing to connect to a TV, whether yeah. you want to access, you know, all the things you can access through the apps on Xbox. But for gaming, I prefer PCs, because of the graphics computing power and the longevity of a PC, yeah. you can go the whole hog and have like three 1080s on a PC and you'll be screaming at Ultimate Graphics the entire way. Now it's a keyboard as well. Now it's a keyboard for me, yeah. okay. way more precision,
5: way more enjoyable to use, I just, uh, yeah. I'm not, I've never learned how to use a gamepad I know people like Peter Jackson and Guillermo del Toro play against each other uh, remotely do you Do you have people that you can kind of play multiplayer games with?
6: Uh, I, I do dot around the world so it's a matter of us not working which almost ends up being impossible so I tend to be the solo player who's on pickup groups and stuff, and not online, just
5: Superman 123. <laughs> yeah, not Henry Cavill. <laughs> yeah. Don't Definitely help me not. down. Uh, brilliant, Henry. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much indeed. And yeah, you, we must challenge you to a game of
0: something. One FIFA, you play a FIFA? I do not. Well, okay, we'll win. We okay. <laughs> will you. <laughs> yeah, we will. <laughs> <laughs>
5: we won't. <laughs> we won't. <laughs>
0: thank,
5: thank you. you. Thank you so much.
0: Alright, so that was Henry Cavill and yes, I think we can now confirm because he's in trailers and whatnot and posters and all sorts of stuff that he is in Justice League. He Spoiler. just couldn't say it in the, in the, uh, <laughs> in the interview. Uh, slightly farcical, but there you go. Let's get to the reviews section of the show now and let's talk about Justice League. It is the big release this week around the world and this is, of course, the fifth movie in the DCEU, the DC Comics Extended Universe, following Man of Steel, Batman v Superman, Cullen, Don of Justice, Suicide Squad and Wonder Woman, the triumph commercially and critically that was Wonder Woman. Does this movie represent a step forward
2: for DC and Warner Brothers or a step backwards, James? Definitely the latter. This is a tricky one and we were discussing this, well, I was fending off the trolls on social media this morning whereby, obviously, the DC-Marvel feud has kicked off in full effect and the DC fans are very much in denial and trolling all the critics who have given this negative reviews. And, And I think the point is that no one wants to see a better DC movie than we do we'd love to do it I mean the, the dark, Nolan's films are amazing and they are DC movies we love the original Supermans and they are DC movies it's, we gain nothing from having yeah. a bad movie we do not least. want these films to be bad and people seem to think that we have this vendetta against DC and that is simply not true that said can, this film is good can I just ask good. did your Feige check clear? Uh, yes it did, it did. Yeah, my bank yeah. balance is very healthy
1: yeah did yours? yeah I just bought a Ferrari
2: yeah it's marvellous thanks Kevin <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, aside from obviously being on Marvel's payroll. Uh, yeah, Justice League is problematic. To put this in context, I would rate it as worse than Batman vs Superman. I would also rate it as worse than Suicide Squad. I would put it Whoa. at the bottom the of bottom. the DCEU. Yeah. I'm um, not sure I'd go that far. And the reason I would do it is it's very, very muddled. It is, you know, a huge CG fuckathon, as these things often descend into. But then so many of them are that that doesn't stand it out. It's the it makes so little effort to do anything with the characters, to evolve them, to justify their existence. And it actually takes steps uh, steps backward with uh, Wonder Woman, for example, also with Superman, uh, and even with Batman to a certain extent. So it regresses these characters and makes them more bland than they were. And it's a real shame. And it's 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 a difficult film to criticize in that we don't know... What Zack Snyder did, we don't know. What Joss Whedon did, we don't know. How much of it was reshot, we don't know. What state it was in when Whedon came on, I mean, it's very difficult mm. to kind of untangle those bits. I mean, you can see Whedon character moments in there. There's a few lines in there which that's just very interesting. His
0: to stamp. Me, because I feel that this is a movie. It's credited fully a Zack Snyder film. Joss Whedon didn't take a directorial credit, mm. but it feels to me, it doesn't feel to me like a movie that was directed by Zack Snyder, and it doesn't feel to me like a movie that was written by Joss Whedon. At any point. No, it doesn't. You either. can kind of see moments where you do feel, oh, this is a Whedon moment because you have characters coming together and talking. But until we know for sure, the telltale sign might be to watch Henry Cavill's top lip. If he's in a scene and <laughs> <Yeah>. his top <laughs> lip is slightly blurry, slightly fuzzy, <laughs> then that's a reshoot. If he's in a scene and it's not, then it's not. We should and explain why. Because, <laughs> uh, well, we, we, as you heard in the interview, he, we had to, he grew a moustache right. for Mission Impossible 6 when they brought back they brought back the cast for uh Justice League reshoots, uh he was forbidden from shaving off that mustache. And so they had to digitally paint it out at great expense, I presume. Uh and so that's why he might be slightly fuzzy Superman in some some instances. And then of course there are scenes that Superman is not in at all, so all bets are off. But most people are saying if it, it's a scene where the, the Justice League are together and they're talking and they're having a bit of a character moment then that's a Joss mm-hmm. Whedon thing. But this is a man who wrote two Avengers movies and obviously Buffy and all these other great ensemble pieces, Firefly, Serenity, and there's a sing and there's a feel to Joss Whedon dialogue that I just didn't get from this Weedonese, film. Whedonese,
2: yes. I mean, he has an absolute gift for zingy dialogue and there is none of that in this.
0: Well, the one, dialogue clunks to the floor. One of the issues is that you might have a cast that is not all suited to comedy trying to do mm. comedy but there is an there is an attempt i was saying this movie yeah. to lighten the tone of the dceu ezra especially miller. given batman vs superman and ezra miller is fun as the flash if you do i i do feel a little sorry for him at times it does feel to me like ezra miller was thrust in front of a green screen and told you're the funny one <laughs> quick say some funny things just just do a whole bunch of alts and we'll see what we can use and there's a slight air of desperation in some of the stuff he does, but he's very likable, very charming, very personable. He's good. Uh, I like the flash. There are moments in this movie that we won't be doing a spoiler special on as far as I can tell, so I won't get into it. But there are moments in this movie where I can see what they're going for, and it's almost like a soft reboot. It almost feels like the, you know they they finally have figured four or five films in, the tone that they want to hit. And there are moments in this that I think, oh my God, you know, I'm not a huge DC Comics guy, but I did read DC Comics growing up. And there are moments in this where I think, that's the Flash I grew up reading. But I can see where they're going. And so it's frustrating that everything else around it is so bland Hmm. and muddled and has a dreadful
2: villain in Steppenwolf. I mean, one of the all-time worst villains. I mean, he looks terrible. He... uh, (sighs) I, I almost don't have words You've for You've destroyed it, he, it James. He, he destroyed me. Steppenwolf just destroyed me. I just When he came in, I was like, what possessed them to use this character and to visualise him in that way? Um, did you see, sorry to jump in here, but did you see
1: uh, Joanna Robinson, friend of the pod, mm. tweeted that Steppenwolf was one of the worst comic book villains in the history of cinema? Uh, and Joss Whedon liked that. Tweet. Yeah, yes. I did see
2: that. He either agrees or yeah. is massively positive about massive. it. Yeah, <laughs> I,
1: I think that was just. Uh, I think it was just him going. Okay,
0: I see your snarky comment, and
2: yeah,
0: uh, yeah I see you. Type, I see it. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I acknowledge it, um, but I, it's not. It's not Joss Whedon. Agreeing. Pissing on his own film. Yeah. I don't think it's that. No, I don't
2: think it's that either. I think the main issues with this, more than anything else, is like this is, for intents and purposes, the equivalent of the first Avengers film. The first Avengers film had earned the right for all those characters to be there. You had seen their origins. You had got to know them. They all had their distinct personalities and relationships. And all of that was... Uh, extrapolated on in the film and we did a very good job of bringing out those characters' individual personalities and they all felt whole and they all felt like they had an inner life none of that is true here the characters have not earned their place even Batman hasn't really benefited from having been in a previous film and Superman's been in two previous films and we still don't really know him it's also Wonder very different Batman
0: from the last movie it where is. he was
2: a murderous psychopath yes, <laughs> in this yes. one he's um, not And Wonder Woman, who enjoyed so much success with her standalone film earlier this year, obviously this film was made essentially before that came out, Mm. but this has, to a certain extent, I think, undone a lot of the good work there. It's not done favours for that character, and I think destroyed some of the goodwill that Wonder Woman generated for the DCEU, because Wonder Woman was a genuinely good film, its first genuinely good film. And I think this then feels like they've just done a U-turn, which is a real shame. Uh, and, a, and a huge missed opportunity. And, you know, there's there's an Aquaman standalone film coming on, which I'm not excited about, because he doesn't really establish himself as someone I wanted to know more about in this film. I would happily sit and watch maybe a Flash movie.
3: Mm-hmm. Uh, I think mm-hmm. Ezra
2: Miller was interesting enough to warrant that. Um, and then there's Cyborg, who is a character who looks a lot like what would happen if you gave a small child a box of crayons and said, draw a robot man. I don't know why they made that particular design choice. And he is a character who's not particularly compelling either. I think he's the most problematic part of that team for me. Think I think Aquaman, not like Aquaman for me by a mile, really? but I still trust in James Wan.
0: I still, I still have, I still have faith in in that. Yeah. And I, you know whether they can do a course correction with the character because he is very much a dude bro, and I'm not sure about
2: that that iteration of the character. But but it, it may be that in the same way that Wonder Woman worked extremely well on her own, but died on her ass in yeah. Justice League, Aquaman movie, might enjoy a solo experience.
0: In this movie, they take Wonder Woman who was so compelling and charismatic and free in her movie and they turn her into kind of this den mother Mm. and i'm not sure about that i i have i have issues with that it's such a wonderful character and she ends up basically just being the the, the shoulder to cry on for everybody in the in the justice league um and then occasionally she will obviously kick some ass but
4: it's also there are some
2: issues it's but, a, it's a men's view it's a man's view of wonder woman in this as well yeah. in the way she acts in the way she dresses and the way she is whereas you really feel the difference between patty jenkins' view of who wonder woman was and how she should compose herself i think um yeah that's probably the biggest takeaway on that character
0: it's it's a shame i don't want to kick the film i really hope the film would be great i loved wonder woman it's in my top 10 of the year it just feels like a missed opportunity to me and it feels like in a, in a year where you know, we've had a deluge of comic book movies and a lot of people I still get people on my my Twitter timeline going, There are too many comic book movies and I always say, But look at the quality of the movie Don't look at the quantity of the movies, look at the quality of the films. And this year we've had Logan, which is great. We've had Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, which I know some people differ on, but I thought was fantastic. We have Wonder Woman, which is transcendent, one of the best superhero origin films of all time. Spider-Man Homecoming was a blast. And most recently, of course, and this is the problem, it's coming out after Wonder Woman and it's coming out after Thor Ragnarok, which is such a delight that it just feels like it pales in comparison. But all of those movies try and do something different. All of them try and push the envelope in a different way. Uh, and not even counting non-superhero stuff like Atomic Blonde or Wilson in the comic book movie Pantheon this year. This movie gives all those critics ammunition. That they can they can point at this film and go, everything that we hate about comic book movies, this movie does. And it's hard to defend it. Hmm. Uh, and all I can hope is that they can take, going forward, because I think we are going to we'll see how this movie does at the box office it'll still do really really well if this movie was as good quality wise as Avengers I don't know where the ceiling is box office wise to see Batman and Superman and Wonder Woman the Holy Trinity together and kicking ass and having these great peripheral characters and that would be a dream we haven't got that but what you'd hope is that they can take the good things in this movie the little kernel of hope Wonder Woman Flash I can see what Cavill wants to do with this character going forward and
2: start doing that uh, who knows? Who knows where this might end up? I enjoyed Superman in this film a little bit. I know it's a controversial view that you don't share, but I... Uh, don't I? I don't think you did. I don't think you liked what they did. I, you have an I issue with I how they treat that character, though, don't I you? I don't like how
0: they have treated Superman mm. up to this point. We can't get into Superman in this review because no. it's not a spoiler review. I I think there are things in this movie that I loved about this version of Superman. Finally, I can see the Superman I grew up with, Superman, you know, Chris Reeve Superman. Mm. I can see... That Superman, who I think heretofore has not been in this, the, this series of movies. He's been a very dour, introspective, very self examining character, and I don't think that is... It's not the Superman I
2: wanted to see, anyway. But, you know, hey-ho. Indeed. So we gave Justice League... Four stars. Four you know. stars, which is... Uh, no, we gave <laughs> yeah. Justice League two stars.
0: It does feel rather like, you know... It, I hope you can feel the disappointment in our voices. I really, really wanted this to be great. And sadly it isn't. But... Fingers crossed for the future. Two stars then for Justice League. And a lot of people have been asking, are we going to be doing a spoiler special on this movie? And as things stand, no, we're not. One of the reasons is, as you know, um, we don't do spoiler specials if we don't talk to some of the creatives involved, whether it's a director or a writer or a producer. And for obvious reasons, Zack Snyder and Joss Whedon are not doing press for this movie. And so we have not interviewed them and so we're not doing a, a spoiler special on that as well and also I do feel that we're all pretty much of a mind in this sadly at the magazine I do feel we'll be like kicking a puppy for an hour yeah, and big, I don't know that that would be good for anybody a big old pinata fest it really would um, so must try harder two stars then for Justice League Unless, John, you loved it. Do you love it? I haven't seen it. You haven't seen it? That's it. Sorry. I haven't seen it.
1: So there's still hope, guys.
0: There's still hope. Okay, so if you, stars, if you see John it and you think it's five stars, then come on in and we'll sure. maybe do a spoiler special. Who knows? Sure. Also out this week, we have a Film Stars Don't Die in Liverpool. And this is a story of uh, Gloria Graham, who in her final years had a, a romance with a Liverpudlian
1: played by Jamie Bell. Uh, and John, how the devil is this? It's very nice. It's it's lovely. It's um, I guess you could call it a sort of historical romance, maybe a period weepy. It's uh, it's you know it's not it's not a, a big ballsy dramatic film. It's quite sort of low key and it's it's very sort of human centered. It's centered on these two characters. So Gloria Graham, if you're not familiar with her, she's not so much a household name these days, um, but in her time she was a, she was a pretty big star. She won an Oscar. She was in. Um, it's a Wonderful Life, playing mm-hmm. Violet, one of my favourite films. And she's also been in some huge films like The Big Heat and Oklahoma. She starred opposite Humphrey Bogart for a lot of films. Mm-hmm. Uh, she became known as a bit of a film noir f- uh, femme fatale. Mm-hmm. But um, she she had a, her career declined a bit in her later years. She was sort of um, reduced to a lot of very small fry theatre. Um, and so when we meet her, she's performing in a theatre in Liverpool, um, and then we we discover that she embarked on this very unlikely romance with a fellow actor played by Jamie Bell who's you know about 30 40 years her junior um, and they 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 just embark on this yeah very whirlwind romance which takes them to New York and California and yes London and Liverpool and it, there's something really lovely about the the way this relationship is portrayed is that the, especially the first half of the film is there's a, a lot of you know fears and flirtation to them she she's you know quite young at heart, she plays it really sort of um in a in a really interesting you get these occasional little film noir references and it, this she has that sort of um you know mysterious past to her uh and then she shes she falls ill and and it becomes a bit more melodramatic um as as jamie bell 's character peter has you know decide what to do with her and he basically mm. has this old school Hollywood film style, living upstairs in his mum's uh, working class terraced house in in Liverpool. <laughs> so it's this really, it's it's a really sort of strange incongruous situation. Um, I f- I felt personally the sort of latter third uh, devolves a little bit. It didn't quite hold my interest in the same way that the first half bit did. Melodramatic, maybe. Little bit, yeah. Uh, uh, but I think it, it, it's still really nice, and I f- I felt it was very authentic and very. Um, really beautifully acted. I thought Jamie Bell and Annette Benning both did really incredible jobs in very different ways. I, you know, Annette Benning is, she she does this sort of very um, guarded, uh, mysterious person who, who sort of doesn't give too much away. Whereas Jamie Bell, in a role we haven't really seen him before, he plays, um, you know, quite an earnest and likeable and kind, generous man. How's um, the Scouse accent? Pretty good, pretty yeah. good. I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm I'm not from the north. I imagine, I it's good, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, no, it's 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 very likable. It's it's very sweet. Uh, it's very well acted. Um, I thought it was. You, I, I, it's a British film, and I I felt like there are times when you can see the budget constraints. Uh, there are some green screens that looked a bit. A bit <laughs> they, they left them in. <laughs> yeah, I mean it, it's pretty obvious they didn't go to California for the California scenes. Put it like that. Okay, um, but Bristol would be fine, guys. Yeah, it's all good it's the it's same Black, thing. Blackpool is basically California, right? <laughs> uh, but no, it, it on the whole, I think it's 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 very lovely, and and we gave it four stars. Four stars. Uh, directed, of course, by
0: Paul McGuigan, and uh, that is "Film Stars Don't Die in Liverpool," which is out right now. Four stars for that, and uh, also in limited release, as we said at the beginning of the podcast and on Netflix is Mudbound. And John, you've also seen
1: this. I have. Uh, tell us about it. Is it worth watching? It is. It is. I was surprised by this one. I have to say, uh, when I started watching it, um, so this is set in sort of 1950s, I think it's deep south or the... Mississippi, yeah. Mississippi. Um, you know, in, in a quite a turbulent time, it's sort of post-World War II. There's still Jim Crow laws. There's lots of very... Um, uh, oppressive racial laws that that uh, especially in the south um and the the focus is on two families um uh, a white family and a black family, and the sort of struggles that they come up against uh, and when you, when I, when it's, when you start watching and there 's just Kerry Mulligan um just doing sort of whispery narration about how life is hard, and I just thought, oh, this is just going to be another one of those Oscar movies <laughs> where people are just sort of whispering. Uh, a lot, yeah. uh, just about how life is hard. <laughs> um, but it, I'd but, watch that movie.
5: I, I, life is hard. Oh, life
0: is so hard. Give me an Oscar, please. Just, the guys just cut the shit and give me an Oscar. <laughs>
1: just, just cut to the acceptance speech. Bloody Redmain's got
0: an Oscar. W- it was really mine. hard,
1: really, really hard on the crying scenes. Just give me an Oscar. But look, it, it is, it is that sort of movie. It is a prestige movie. They are obviously going for weighty issues, but it's actually really impressive. They take in a lot of stuff. I mean, so, so Jason Mitchell and Garrett Hedlund play these returning soldiers who, um, from World War II who both suffer from post-traumatic stress mm-hmm. and strike up this very unlikely friendship at a time when, when blacks and whites really didn't mix. And it's amazing the amount of, sort of stuff they throw into the mix and the, the character beats that they give time for. I mean, it's a long film. It's, it's nine on three hours. Um, but, but, this, but what is covered is really impressive. Um, and it's visually very beautiful i think the narration for all its whispery ponderous pretentiousness is actually very poetic at times there's some really beautiful dialogue and it, i don't know it's just it's just very impressive film i really implore you if you can to see it on a big screen because some of the cinematography is gorgeous i mean it really makes the the deep south look at, at once beautiful and oppressive uh, and, and it is incredibly well-acted as well. There's lots of talk of Mary J. Blige getting a, a Best Supporting Actress nomination. Cool. Um, and I, th- I think it, there's a good chance she may get it. It's very, very impressive.
0: All right, so it sounds great. So four stars then from Mudbound. whether you choose to see it in the cinema or indeed on Netflix. And speaking of things that are on Netflix, a really interesting documentary hits today, Jim and Andy, The Great Beyond, Dash, featuring a very special contractually obligated mention of Tony Clifton. That's the actual (laughs) name of the 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 film. That's the name of the film. I'm going to shorten it to Jim and Andy, The Great Beyond. It is a film, I'm pretty sure this is why Twitter introduced the horror of 280 (laughs) characters, because you cannot discuss this movie. Hey, have you seen Jim and Andy, The Great Beyond, featuring a very special contractually obligated mention of Tony Clifton? Yes, I have seen Jim and (laughs) Andy. 140 just doesn't work. You need 280. And this is a movie in which Jim Carrey looks back at his decision to go properly method as Andy Kaufman during the making of Milos Foreman's Man on the Moon back in 1990, the film came out in 1999, so I guess probably 1998, 1999, around that time, uh, because he went fully method and he allowed a video documentary crew headed up by Andy Kaufman's uh, former partner, uh, to document every step of the process. And it is absolutely fascinating. So you get this video footage of Jim Carrey basically pissing off an entire film crew, like really exasperating everybody, getting under the skin of Milos Foreman, who can't deal with him because he refuses to recognize the name Jim Carrey. He only answers to Andy Kaufman, and literally he's he's having conversations with with um, with Milos Foreman, And Milos is like, we're having dinner tomorrow night. And, and he goes, are we? It's like well, no, 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 not you. You and me and Jim are having dinner. Oh, I don't know about that. I have to. I have to get in touch with him. And it's like, oh my god, because <laughs> there's really interesting threads throughout the movie where Jim Carrey, who is looking back at this stuff in an in an interview as he is now, says that essentially he felt that he was taken over by the spirit of Andy Kaufman. And I just thought it was a really interesting documentary uh, about the lengths actors will go to go method to get a performance. And it asked interesting questions and Carrie asks himself, should he have done it? Should he have gone that far? What did he gain from going that far? Because it seems to have had a pretty profound effect on him as a person, not just as an actor. Mm. And this documentary is its complex. And I do wonder if, because he's the only talking head in it, Jim Carrey is the only talking head in it. And I do wonder if you had talked to some of the co-stars, Danny DeVito and Judd Hirsch and people like that, if you'd had them doing the talking head thing as well, what their recollection of it would have been. But it's just fascinating, the juxtaposition of him now with a little bit of perspective, and then this id monster on set who's just, especially when he's Tony Clifton, who is just out of control, just running amok and having to be carried around because he's either drunk or pretending to be drunk. And this is the thing, it's like the movie never really lets you in on whether... Carrie was in on it. You know what I mean? Whether Mm. he was pretending to be that method or whether he actually was that method. But there's some really interesting moments, for example, when he talks about having met Andy Kaufman's daughter, who never got to meet her dad. He talked to her. They had a conversation that was private, but where they talk about, he talked to her as Andy Kaufman. Bloody hell. So she met her dad (laughs) in Jim Carrey's body. And he Breaks down on camera thinking about it, and you're going, Okay, well, that's a real moment. That's, a, that's an actual real moment. But at the same time, Andy Kaufman was a performance artist. So, what's real and what's not?
1: Fascinating documentary. It's um, particularly interesting given that some recent interviews with Jim Carrey, he said, There is no Jim Carrey. There is no Jim Carrey. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. This is not, none of this is real. None, none of this means anything. None <laughs> of this matters. And there's elements of that in, mm. this, in this this as well. Fascinating stuff. Jim and Andy, The Great Beyond. I won't do the full title. Uh, that's on Netflix right now, so do check it out. And uh, that is it for this week's Empire Podcast. Uh, join us next week for more film-related fun, where we'll be joined by the star of Red Oaks and Submarine, Craig Roberts will be in the studio, and a man who's very special to both James and myself, the author of All 22. Jack Reacher novels. Is it twenty two now? It is twenty two. It's, it's hundred and twenty two. This is twenty. This is twenty two. The twenty second Jack Reacher novel, The Midnight Line, is coming out in hardback this month. It may already be out. I can't really tell because uh, we got our copy ages ago. Just a little bit of insider nonsense. And um, uh, and Lee Child himself will be coming into the podcast yet again.
2: Yeah, we like Don't, Lee Child don't in be podcast. surprised if he says nothing.
0: He will. He won't because he can't stop talking. <laughs> which is great that's the sort of thing you want from a podcast guest Yeah. so uh, look out for that that's going to be uh, a lot of fun and if we do change our minds about the Justice League spoiler special we'll let you guys know as well uh, until then it is goodbye from John goodbye it's goodbye from Jimbo goodbye and it's goodbye from me I'm off to Liverpool I hope film journalists don't die in Liverpool hmm see you next week